0: Guys, I am delighted to, that this morning we get an opportunity uh, to hang out in God's Word to start a new series. And so if you brought your Bible with you, I'm going to uh, share some scriptures. I want you to open up and kind of dog-ear or bookmark uh, these, these passages. We're going to hang out mostly in Genesis chapter 37, but we're also going to look at in the Old Testament Isaiah 53. So the Old Testament verses are Genesis 37 and Isaiah 53. And then the New Testament verses, again, the Old Testament is Genesis 37, first book of the Bible, Isaiah 53, a little bit beyond halfway in the Bible, and then in the New Testament will be Romans 8 and Second Corinthians 1, Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians, verse number 1, praise the Lord. We are working diligently trying to get our Western Ranch campus uh, uh, going and officially going. And so um, I still don't have the official, like, signed dotted line, but we do have a verbal. We're excited about it. But we'd like to, but this week, pray with us that this week we will be able to solidify and actually get a contract in place uh, for a facility usage uh, in Western Ranch that would start on September the 6th. So we're excited. This is a big week for us. Secondly, I heard from the Cervantes family you might be familiar with this family they've attended our church for quite a while for a long time haven't been here for a while because grandma who lives with them is very ill Anna is I got a text a contact this morning from the family saying that she is uh, getting ready to pass away and so I'm as soon as church is over I'm going to be heading that direction and sitting with her and talking with her about what it's going to be like when you close your eyes in death and you open your eyes in the presence of the Lord. Now, this is a woman who has come to the altar before that we prayed for. Uh, she has cancer and that, that, she was, that the Lord touched her and she was already given six months to live. And a few years later, she lived even a few more years. We believe that the Lord provided a miracle for her and a blessing for the family. We're so grateful. But now it's, now it's, it sounds like it's come time. And the family has asked that we come and partner with them in this transition. And so would you pray this afternoon that God would bless the Cervantes family. I love to ask kids, kids the question, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Especially five, six-year-old children. uh, You know, they, they dream. They dream big. They, uh, I want to be a, a, a doctor. I want to be a, the president of the United States. I want to be a, a lawyer, a fireman, a policeman, or I want to be a, a nurse or a teacher. I want to be, be something something exciting. I want to play for the the National Football League. Kids have confidence. They have hope in what a future uh, could be for them. They, they don't have anything that's holding them back. They're just full of that wonderful thing called hope. But you ask somebody who's 25, 30, 35 years old the same question, and they're probably not going to be Full of as much, have as much hope and much drive and, and, and passion as they were when they were a little child. And you gotta ask yourself, what is, the dream is not nearly as grandiose. And, and the question that I would have is, is what happened? What changed? Why, why is that? Because they have probably been introduced to a dose of reality, but they've also allowed someone or something in their past to put a lid upon the top of their potential. So they're not going any higher because something has impacted them. Sometimes that's through a teacher, a coach, or a family member, a neighborhood kid, something that happened in their life, put a lid, and you know, the thing that I know is the longer we live, the more hurt and the more pain that we're going to encounter in our lives. If you agree, don't say amen, just nod your head, uh uh-huh, right? That's just the truth. A lot of times, these painful experiences leave a scar, a wounded spirit. It can feel irredeemable. It can feel like it's impossible to overcome. But the fact is that our past stands oftentimes as an obstacle to where God wants us to go. It's a a hindrance. It's a stronghold. It's a roadblock. Our past is to get us from where we are to where God wants us to. To be, And so today we're starting a a journey that's going to last for a few weeks. We're going to be looking at the life of Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter, starts in Genesis Genesis chapter 37 and goes through almost the full remainder of the book of, of Genesis. And it's a journey to overcome. Now, I know that everybody has this one thing in common. We all have hurts. We all have stuff in our life that we need to overcome. That's what we're focusing on today. But the question that we're asking in this series is, what's holding you back? What is it that's holding you back from the potential that God has for you? Something is, is trying to restrain you. Something is trying to pull you back or keep you from gaining victory that God wants you to have. So we're going to take a close, in-depth look at the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 in the Old Testament. Let me, um, let me sh- Joseph was the 11th son of a guy named Jacob. Now you may remember that in the Bible there was, you, you see this, There was Abraham... There was Isaac, and there was Jacob. Now, from Jacob, we're just going to go ahead and put an arrow here, and we're going to put Joseph. And Joseph was the 11th son. So I just want you to kind of get a visual. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's son was Isaac. Isaac, Isaac's son was Jacob, and Jacob has his 11th son named Joseph. And we're talking about Joseph uh, for the next uh, few weeks Jacob, Joseph's dad, was the grandson of Abraham, and, his, and the great-grandson of Abraham. The grand, or his, excuse me, his father was Isaac. His grandfather was Abraham. The thing about this, this family is the entire family is extremely dysfunctional. The entire family has a whole lot of things that they're messed up with. And I love that God uses messed up families to teach us Um, all about him, to introduce us to his grace and to his power, to his strength. Listen, this is a messed up family. I'm not being disrespectful to the word, but they are totally dysfunctional. Let me, Jacob, Jacob had uh, his 12 sons by four different women, and he's currently, at the writing of this, uh, he's married to two of them. So Genesis chapter 37 is the first documented proof that we have the original manuscript of Sister wives, I'm just gonna tell you that right now. It's, it's in the Bible, it's right there. So they've got this thing going here that they're, they're, it's a complicated matter. The story of Joseph was a, a story of family conflict. And so we're gonna start in chapter 37, verse number one. And we're gonna go through this chapter together today, kind of a few lines at a time so we can hopefully embrace what God wants for us. Chapter one or Chapter 37, verse number one. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Jacob is the dad of Joseph. Joseph, a young man of 17, how old was Joseph? 17, so he's a teenager. So he's 17 years old. He's gonna act like a 17-year-old uh, human being, and that's exactly what's gonna take place here. He's 17 years old. He was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilna and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, those are his two wives, sister wives, and he, and, and he brought their father a bad report about them, now, Now we need to stop for just a second and kind of take a look at that before we uh, continue on here. Um, Joseph is with his brothers tending to the flocks. They have herds. Tending to the flocks of sheep and goats and so forth. And his brothers um, made him mad. His brothers must have done something that triggered him or hurt him or ticked him off or something. So what he does is he runs and he tells his daddy. He is 17 years old. He has no business running and telling his daddy at 17 years old. Stay and figure it out and work it out. Man up, because at 17 in that time, you were really considered to be a well into your adulthood. So he should have figured it out, but he didn't figure it out. And what daddy did wrong was even worse. Let's continue reading. Now Israel, who is also Jacob, that's another name for Jacob, so it's like an AKA, all right? Jacob, AKA, is Israel, um, loved Joseph more than any of the other sons. What? He loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. This is a coat of many colors, a beautiful coat. Everybody else has beige, and he has this beautiful coat that has a whole lot of colors on it. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So daddy has made a big mistake here. Daddy has uh, caused a feud within the family because daddy should have told his son Joseph who came running in saying, "Oh, my brothers won't leave me alone. He should have said, get your little booty back out there and figure it out, work it out. Son, here's some coaching, here's some ideas, maybe you could handle it differently, but you get back out there and you figure this thing out because that's how you teach a man to be a man. Maybe you need me to repeat that. That's how you teach a man to be a man, is you teach him to man up. You teach him to live life and to work through relational problems and you don't give him excuses and you certainly don't bail a 17 year old out by saying, then you don't have to go out there anymore son. And that's exactly what he did and what happened? It caused hatred. Levels of hatred that had already been birthed there because they had felt since he was born, Joseph, who is 17 now, that his father favored him more than any, other, any of the other sons. They hated him for this favoritism. Verse number five, let's continue. It's a great story. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, that was a big mistake, I think, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> what did you just say to me? That's, I'm sure that they're like, You didn't just say that to me, did you? And, and, and his brother said to him, uh, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And it says, and they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Mm -mm -mm. Then he had another dream. I got an idea, Joseph. Maybe you ought to take a clue, 17-year-old genius, from what happened just a few minutes ago or a couple days ago whenever you had that last dream and they hated you even more, don't tell them the dream. Just see if it plays out. But Joseph, being the 17-year-old who knows everything, he went on to see, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well, as, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Were your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down on the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this matter in mind. Now, there's a couple of things about this that I think we need to mention um, a good dad, if, if a child, if one of my children comes to me and says, Dad, I really believe that the Lord has spoken to me and God has told me that I'm going to reach, you know, where, where maybe you've reached hundreds, I'm going to reach thousands of people for Jesus. A good father, I think all of our reaction would be probably the same, I hope, would be right on. Hallelujah, rock, I believe in you and I believe in the God that gave you the word. But instead, instead, um, Jacob, his father's reaction is a reaction of, of jealousy, of 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 um of, of negativity toward his, toward his son. And so he's like, "That's not that's not what's going to happen." You really think that that's really what's going to happen? Now, let me let you know, Jacob, or excuse me, Joseph, the son, the eleventh son, was a was a young man, seventeen years old, full of confidence. He had a dream for his future. He was full of hope. And as we'll see throughout the story of the next several weeks along the way, he's going to have ample reasons to doubt God. (laughs) He's going to have ample reasons to doubt that God is involved in his life because of all of the obstacles that he must go through. Guess what? I'm pretty sure there's some folks in here that are going through some obstacles today. There's some, some roadblocks, some hindrances that are in your way that seem to be holding you back from the potential that God has for you. Now, I'm a... I'm a Pentecostal, born-again, Holy Spirit-filled Bible preacher. That's what I am. So I believe that God can cause in a nanosecond more to happen in your life than your entire life of wishing and planning and dreaming can do. But I also am a realist when it comes to it, that God doesn't always, in fact, he usually doesn't work in the instantaneous. He works in the process And so we're gonna be talking about the journey with the life of Joseph. And the journey, man, that's where you're gonna find healing and hope and strength and power. That's where you're gonna learn the skill of perseverance is in the journey like with Joseph. And so in Joseph, in order for him to see his dream that he had come to fruition, to see his dream come to fulfillment, he he had to get past his past because his past was marked with hatred and jealousy and vengeance, and pride, and, and, and pain, which ultimately brought him to the bottom of the pit. Some of you feel like you're at the bottom of the pit, and you've reached the low of the low. I bet you can relate to the story just a little bit. You got, you got messed up. You probably have an, an Uncle Eddie somewhere in the family tree. There, there's, there's something in your, in your family lineage that has affected you and your family is marked with um, dysfunction. Maybe it was abuse. Maybe it was abandonment you experienced or somebody in your family experienced. Maybe it was betrayal that took place. There's secrets in the family. There's lies that have been told. There's deception. There's pain. Listen, when you have a family reunion, it's not relax and chillax like Trinity's talking about. It's not, it's not hanging out and enjoying the time together. It's tension. It's, it's, it's anxiety. It's like, I'm going to endure, I'm going to get through that, rather than I'm going to find fulfillment in that. I'm really sorry. But that doesn't have to be your future. But all too often it is, because we don't do anything to change the trajectory for our children and our children's children. We're talking about redeeming your past, but we're also talking about redeeming your future in this series as well. So it's my hope that God will get you on the path toward freedom as we focus on overcoming. So the whole theme of this, if I'm going to give you one sentence for the whole series, is Joseph will overcome because of his trust in the overcomer. Joseph will overcome because of his trust in the overcomer. Can someone say amen? Come on now. I expect that... You come at 11 o'clock in the morning. You got some extra good sleep last night. I expect that you guys are rested and refreshed and ready to go. That means you got a few amens in the windpipe you can let out this morning. Someone say amen, yes? There we go. Okay, so verse number five, as we're reading, or excuse me, um, verse number 12 we're jumping to now. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, I don't know, I think that's a fun word to say. And Israel, that's Jacob, remember that's A-K-A, said to his son Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm gonna send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? And he replied, I'm, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing the flocks? He said, they have moved out from here. The man answered, I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them near Dothan. Now we're gonna stop there for just a second. Um, there's, there's a lot going on here as we just, just took a look at this. First of all, you gotta understand from the Valley of Hebron to Shechem to Dothan takes about four to five days to make that journey. So we're not talking about just around the corner. you to go tell your brothers to come on back and, and have some lunch. We're talking about he had to pack a, a knapsack. He had to pack a, <coughs> some food, some clothes, maybe some water. Uh, so he had a long trip ahead of him, a lot of time to think, think about maybe how he could say this to his brothers or what he could do to try to fortify a greater relationship with them. But there's a problem. I don't know if you noticed this. Joseph was not tending the flocks with his brothers. Joseph was where? He was home. Now you gotta get this, guys. He was back home with his daddy. Last time when the story opened, Joseph was tending the flocks with his brothers and they had this quarrel and he ran and told daddy about it. Now his his brothers are tending the flocks and Joseph isn't even there. Dad made a big mistake. Dad should have said, Get back out there and figure it out. Go to work, son. Instead, he said, son, stay on home here. I know they're picking on you. They're the bad guys, and you're the good guy. He created in the family this, this dysfunction, this, this jealousy, uh, this, this hurt, this, turmoil, this rage is now taking place because dad made a huge mistake. Now, when we talk about dad, when we talk about Jacob, it, it really is, um, it's no wonder that he parented the way that he parented because we parent the way that we were parented. You see, if you look at Jacob's dad, Isaac, particularly his mama, his mama's name is Rebekah. Isaac was married to Rebekah, and Rebekah and Isaac had two sons. They were twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Yeah, see, I pointed to it, you got it. Right on, guys, good job, right? I'm just having fun with you. Esau and Jacob. Now, Isaac was married to who, who'd I just say? Rebekah, that's good, and Isaac and Rebekah had two sons. Who were they? Esau and Jacob. Don't ever say Jacob and Esau, because Esau was born first. They were twins, Esau comes out first. The first one, first one comes out, says nanny nanny boo boo, I win. Because the first one that comes out, even if they're twins, the firstborn gets the inheritance. The firstborn, oh, that's the one who gets the blessing from the father. But you know what? Isaac was married to Rebekah, and Rebekah had a favorite, and her favorite was not Esau. Her favorite was Jacob. And so she and Jacob manipulated a system and a, plat, a plot and a plan together where they caused and deceived her husband Isaac into believing, or her, yeah, her husband Isaac into believing that um, he was blessing Esau and giving him the blessing, which means giving him the inheritance, giving him the birthright. You see, history shows, whenever you read the Old Testament, you hear about, I'm the God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It should be, I am the God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But it's not that. Because Rebekah had favoritism in the family, therefore caused Jacob to get the inheritance when Esau should have gotten it, it was rightfully his. But God is not, God's not gonna take back what he gives. The blessing was already there. So it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what I'm telling you here, guys, is favoritism goes back. And that generational curse has not been broken. And Jacob, man, he's experiencing that. And and guess what? Joseph is experiencing that because the favoritism that he's experiencing, it might feel good, but it's been passed down. Generation after generation after generation. That selfish act of favoritism It caused division and hatred between Jacob and Esau for a long time. But now we see Jacob doing the exact same thing. Division and hatred enter a family and history repeats itself once again. Listen, this brings all kinds of hurt. It might not be favoritism. Oftentimes when we talk about generational curses, we talk about things like alcohol or or abuse. True. But there's other generational curses. It can be attitudes, it can be an a, um, a, a unforgiveness that goes back generations, nobody knows why. It's passed down and, and it, it's time that that selfish act get broken in your family lineage. Throughout this story you're gonna see that Joseph has to deal with a whole lot of hurt And he's gonna have to, get this, he's going to have to work through his past family dysfunction. He has to work through it. He's gotta work through the pain. He's gotta work through the anger in order to see God's dream fulfilled in his life. And so do you. You can't ignore it. You gotta face it like David faced Goliath. You gotta look at this insurmountable giant in front of you and you gotta take him out. And you can do that but it's only with God working in you and through you. If you don't work through it, the flip side, if you don't work through the hurt of your dysfunction, of your, of your pain, of your trauma, the stuff that you, if you don't do it, it will, I'm not a prophet, but I am declaring this because it's the truth. It will be a generational curse that will impact your family over and over and over and over again. I don't want that for you, which is why we're declaring the truth and we're learning from God's word how you can break those things. You will end up repeating that generational curse. That family lineage will never change until you work through it. Here's the truth. People don't know that they, dads don't know they became their father until they've already become their father. Moms don't know they become their mother until they've already become their mother. And then you look in the mirror or your child says to you, you're just like grandma. You're like, why would you? You know, you you know, because most people that's not good, it's unfortunate. I'm telling you, you got to look in the mirror and you got to be honest with yourself. If you don't work through it, it's going to hurt you. Quit repeating the garbage of your past. And the good news is, Joseph, the one we're studying, broke it. He broke the cycle of family dysfunction, but he only did it because he followed God. And that's what you can do. Following God. And God specializes in redeeming your past. Let me tell you a little bit about Joseph's life, real quick. Joseph would say he did not have very good older brothers. I think that's a true statement. But his older brothers would say they had a pretty pretty bad uh, younger brother. They would say, We didn't Joseph was not a very good younger brother. He wasn't loyal to us. He was favored by our father. Um, he, he was spoiled. Joseph's parents. They didn't get to get along very well. Jacob did not get along with his, in fact, one of his wives, one of the, the sister wives that he had was totally out of the picture. And the other one wasn't loved by her husband at all. And the kids, the kids, they saw this. They, they saw it unfolding in the home. Mom and dad didn't love each other and the other mom's out of the picture and what's going on? You can't compartmentalize. It all overlaps. The whole family is struggling in, in family relationships, one with another. But Joseph is gonna break the cycle and he's gonna show us that over the long haul, redemption can take place with God's help. That's good news. Look at verse number 18, guys. Man, I'm so excited about this. But they, but they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Oh, <laughs> boy, did we just take a turn or what? Um, we took a big turn in the story. They, they hated him. They didn't like him very much. They, were, they antagonized him. They pushed his buttons, and, and finally they got rid of him because he's not with them anymore. But now they see, how do they see him coming? Well, because everybody's wearing beige except for him. He's wearing a coat of many colors. He's shining like a star coming down the hill. And they see him, and they're just seething with anger and rage is coming out. And then they decide in the, in the spur of the moment, we're going to kill him. Well, that's a big turn in the story, don't you think? We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna ignore him, right? Ooh, we're gonna ignore him. We're gonna pretend he's not even there. We're gonna hold him down and, um, I don't know, give him a snuggie. I don't know what. We're gonna, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna keep him from enjoying the family favor. But instead, they decide they're going, how are they gonna kill him? Oh, they're gonna kill him in a very special way. Look at verse number 19. Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, I gotta wonder, I got to wonder if maybe that would the word dreamer isn't more like a beep you know in the bible do you know what i'm saying they're really really mad come on now let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him then we'll see what comes of his dreams well that's a pretty sinister plot don't you think I mean, you thought that one through. That's called murder one, right? <laughs> That's premeditated murder is what that is. They, I mean, they planned this thing out. This family is so messed up that their dysfunction has turned to violence. Come on now. Some of you know what that means. When the dysfunction turns to violence, it's critical. Now, I imagine some of you can understand this to some extent. Let me show you a picture on the screen. This is a picture of a cistern. I want, I want you to understand that a, a cistern is not a well. A well is designed where it, the, the, the blocks or bricks or uh, some sort of concrete with mortar would come above the ground to try to keep animals and things from falling into it, and therefore contaminating the water. A cistern is not that. A cistern is actually just a hole, a hole that's dug as people have watched and surveyed the land, that during the rainy season, where the water settles into or where the water runs through, they would then, in the dry season, they would dig these holes that would go down, we're talking 20 feet, Uh, they would go down, they'd line them with plaster, and there was nothing, there was nothing. They were just literally a drainage container so that during the rainy season, the water would flow into them, fill those cisterns up, and then during the dry season, they would have water in reserve that they could go get. How they purified it, probably boiled it, I don't know, but that they'd have water that they could get. A lot of times these cisterns during the dry season, um, they were empty, there was no water in them. So cisterns would double as temporary prisons as temporary jail cells. They would lower people into them because you couldn't climb out. The walls were smooth and they were sealed because you didn't want the water to get through and to get out. And so his brothers, his brothers were plotting to throw him into this. Now, don't miss the symbolism of this. This is so important for us to, to, to latch onto. Joseph is put into a hole that is used to provide survival during a drought, during a famine. And for those of you, spoiler alert, that know the rest of this story, Joseph is actually going to be the source that is going to provide his family freedom, water, food during a drought, during a famine. Could it be... Could it be that the cistern, the, the, the hole, the prison that you find yourself in today is a direct sign of the way that God plans on blessing you and using you as a part of his great and mighty plan? The, the problem that you're having physically, the problem that you're having um, in your marriage, the problem you're having with a, with a wayward child, the, 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 the problem that you're dealing with of overcoming this, this abuse that happened to you, When you get through it, when you work through it, when you find victory on the other side, I declare that God is gonna take this ditch, this cistern, this well, this hole, this prison that you find yourself in today that seems to be hopeless, and he's gonna turn it around for good. And you're gonna be able to look through a lens and talk to somebody who's got marriage problems, who's been through abuse in their life, who's been through physical ailments that only you can understand and you can look at them and say, I get it. I know what you're going through. I know what you're feeling, but greater is He because He's done it for me, He can do it for you. That's the plan that I think God has through this story. Praise God. Verse 21, let's keep on rocking this thing up. When Reuben, that's not a sandwich, that's his older brother. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him in the cistern here in the desert and don't lay a hand on him. But Reuben said this to rescue him from them, to take him back to his father. You know, Reuben's the oldest brother. Reuben probably feels that he's got a responsibility as the oldest son to make sure that the younger boy is safe. Probably feels like he's got a responsibility to his father. We don't have time to to, to really dissect this a lot, but let me tell you this, Reuben has kind of had a falling out with his dad. He's done some things, or I should say, he hasn't done some things that he should have done early on in his life. And now, I wonder if he's thinking, okay, this is a moment of choice. My brothers have gone nuts. My younger brother's gonna be killed by them. Do I say something? Do I speak up in the midst of this dysfunction? Do I speak up in the midst of this chaos? In the midst of this rage? Do I take a risk that they might turn on me? What do I do? And he does, he does the most amazing thing, he speaks up. And he, he suggests they throw him in the cistern because his plan was to come back later and raise his brother out of there, and then I don't know what he was gonna do from there. I don't know if he was gonna have him run off, I don't know if he was gonna go back home and tell dad and they were gonna sort through this and you know, I'd go to Dr. F- I don't know what they were gonna do but somehow they were gonna to have to get this thing figured out. Right now, right now, the urgent need was, hey, I don't want her to be killed. I think, as you think about this story, I think that Joseph is the hero in this story, but I think an unsung hero in this story is Reuben. He spoke up in the midst of this dysfunction. Now, I want you to hear this. Maybe you need to be a Reuben in your family. Maybe you need to be a Reuben in your workplace. Maybe you need to be a Reuben in some relationships that are around you. Maybe, maybe you, listen, what, if we had one word we could call Reuben, we could call him this. We could call him a gatekeeper because Reuben was a gatekeeper. It, what I mean by that is, is Reuben was the one who stood in the gap that kept his brothers from murdering their younger brother Joseph because had they murdered their younger brother Joseph, mm, the family would have ended. I say the family would have ended Think about it. Had Reuben not stepped up, the story stops here because Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob has all these sons. Joseph is the 11th, Benjamin will be the 12th, but he's had 12 sons. They all would have died. Every one of them would have. Number one, Joseph would already be dead, but the rest would have died because in just a short period of time, there's gonna be a severe famine in the land, and that severe famine in the land is gonna, cattle's gonna die, crops are gonna die, people are gonna die, And the only hope for this family that they cannot see right now is this boy named Joseph. God's going to put him through all these trials. He's going to allow him to go through all these tribulations. Why? Because he is setting him up for something amazing. And if Reuben wouldn't have stepped in and said, let's spare his life, there'd been no hope for that family. And that's the family, by the way, that God brought Jesus Christ to the earth through that lineage. I'm telling you, it could have been a real stop. That God would have worked his plan in another way, I'm pretty sure. All I'm saying is, is, is uh, God, God had never left Joseph. Let's take a look at this. Um, verse 23, uh, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. And they took him and they threw him in the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, boy, <laughs> hit the pause button. Are you telling me that they stripped their brother of this most prized possession? They took it away from him. They probably pushed him around a little bit, and then you saw the picture of the cistern. They threw him. It doesn't say that they you know, they they, got, they set him down inside. They they pushed him. I mean threw him down inside. So he's probably bloodied and teeth are chipped or broken. He's got knots on his head and he's got maybe, I don't know, maybe he's got sprained ankle and the guy is hurt, bleeding, blistered. Certainly got this rash of sliding down the plaster, down the thing, landing on the bottom and it says it was dry. That's significant because water would have been nice, right? A little softer landing, maybe even something to drink down there. And then his brothers being so calloused so, uh, so uh, full of rage. Sat down and had lunch. See it, hear it, smell it. Be there in the story for just a minute. Imagine how awful it must have been, and yet how much, how much, uh, um, how much utility they got out of hearing their brother help. I'm hurt. Help me. I'm bleeding. Guys, come on now. And they're eating a sandwich. They're having a picnic. It's like music to their ears. Let him suffer. It's, it's just evil. It's just, it's just wicked. And then, and then they hear these slave traders coming near. And just because for time's sake, I gotta go a little faster. The, these slave traders are headed to Egypt and so they decide they're gonna sell Joseph as a slave they're gonna sell joseph as a slave to these guys who are heading to egypt for two years salary is what they got so they sold him but then they realized we got to cover our tracks sin always yields more sin because now you got to cover up the sin i got to tell you there's nothing better than laying your head on your pillow at night and knowing you don't got to cover over nothing because you're just living a life of integrity. You're telling the truth, but they didn't. Look, Jump jump down to verse number 31, so so they got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat and they dipped the robe in the blood. Then they took the ornamented robe back to the father and said, we found this. Examine to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. He bought into the lie. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters tried to, and they came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning I will go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Guys, what a sad story. What a, what a tragic story. Some of you know what it's like to be taken advantage of. Someone of you know what it's like to be rejected or to be abused or to be ostracized by the very same people who carry your last name. And you know what that's like. And, and I'm sorry. I really am. Maybe you, like Joseph, have been the victim of unexplainable hurt and unimaginable pain. God does not want your hurt to hold you back anymore. And that's why we're studying this story of Joseph. Um, So without sounding like I'm minimizing anything, Let me, for the last 15 minutes we have together, share with you three steps in the process to overcoming hurts, okay? The first one is this. You gotta recognize the reality of your hurt. Boy, a lot of people don't do this. They deny it. They just, every time you try to talk to them about the hurt in their life, they just deflect it off to something else. Don't wanna deal with it, look at it, square off with it, face it, face the giant. The reality is, how many of all know we live in a fallen world, yes? And no one is immune to sin. You see, sin is the cause of all hurt. The hurt that you're experiencing is either the cause is either caused by the sin that you have committed, or it's caused by the sin that other people have committed to you, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Hmm. And Jesus understands. hurt. I want you to look at Isaiah 53, and it'll be on the screen, but if you want to flip there, uh, please do so now just the third verse. Let me read it and then I'll explain it. It says, he was despised and rejected by men. This is talking about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This was written by a prophet by the name of Isaiah, 700 years-ish before Jesus was born, telling us about the life of the Messiah. Now, it's really easy to look at this verse, look at the main words there, despised, rejected, suffering, pain, um, despised, low, held in low esteem. It's easy for us to think about that and say, yeah, that defines Jesus on his way to the cross. You better believe it does. But that is not what it's talking about. It's talking about the life, the 33 years that Jesus lived. Imagine with me for just just a moment growing up in the same town as Jesus, this small town of Nazareth. We believe it was about 200 people at the time. <laughs> you, talk, you live in a small town in Lathrop? Uh, that's a small town. You think everybody knows your, everybody, everybody knows your business in, in a town of 200 people. And in that town, Jesus was being raised and he was being raised by his stepdad, by the name of Joseph. Oh, it was the talk of the town. He was raised by his mother, by the name of Mary, who had Jesus out of wedlock, but she had never had sexual activity before. So so he was immaculately conceived and nobody in the community believed it. Even his own brothers didn't believe it because it says in John 7, 5, that even his own brothers did not believe in him. So his own brothers bought into the lie that all the community's talking about. Jesus is this. Listen, Jesus Christ was the joke of the town. He was raised in that environment. Don't tell me that Jesus doesn't understand hurt. Can you imagine the hurt that he faced? And if Jesus recognized the reality of his own hurt, then we should too. Because recognizing that we are hurt is the first step toward overcoming it. What am I saying, Troy, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying, I'm saying, it's time to quit pretending that we're all okay because we're not all okay. It's time just to be real, just to be honest. Hurt is a reality of life. And if you're stuck in a rut, if you're stuck in a cistern, if you're stuck in a prison, then we wanna help you get out. In 2011, a couple of months after we launched, in July 11th, 2011, um, we launched on April 23rd, uh, 2011, so we'll be seven this coming couple weeks. The Lord had given me this vision for what New Life was going to be. We published it in what we call The Dream. And It was several steps. You can get a copy of it. It's on our website, newlifelither.com. And one of the dreams that we had, I had, I feel like the Lord gave us from the very beginning, was we wanted to launch a, an educated, competent, qualified counseling center through New Life Church, called New Life Counseling Center. There you go, it's a real catchy title, isn't it? (laughs) We wanted to have a place where individuals and couples and families can get solid biblical counseling, solid help from certified, trusted counselors. And I am thrilled to stand before you today to say that in the next two or three weeks, this will officially launch from the ministries of a New Life Church. I am thrilled to tell you this is a big deal, guys. The cost for uh, counseling sessions for couples or individuals or families is minimal, sliding scale, it's affordable. But here's the deal. If you don't have a skin in the game, y'all know what I'm talking about? You gotta have some skin in the game. My wife and I went through a very dark period, and I'm open to share that with people. Um, We went through a very dark period, and God has, we're on the other side, and I've got more empathy now than I've ever had for, for families. I understand that people go through difficult times really dark times where I'm telling you, most people I think would have thrown in the towel if it wasn't for God. My wife and I are, I mean, just because of family of origin stuff, stuff that happened in our childhood that came out and had to work through it several years, we could have put a healthy-sized down payment on a home for the amount of money that we spent on Christian counseling. But we're still living in a rented home because that is more important to me than the things of this earth. Because this is what we're taking to heaven, relationships. You don't take the other stuff to heaven, guys. So I am convinced that every every Christian, here's what I'm convinced of, I'm just gonna say it, I think 80% of all Christ followers are walking around with, with, with strongholds, holding them back from their full potential. Now you're saved, you're born again, but you're not living the John 10, 10 life. John 10, 10, life, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come to give you life. But that's not the end of the sentence. And to give it to you more abundantly, he wants you to live the abundant life. Abundant life means healed life. Abundant life means whole life. It means living a free life. (laughs) That's what we want to help y'all with. You and people you know, the director of this counseling center, I'm pleased to say, newly as of April 27th, Newly ordained minister in the assemblies of God and certified counselor with the American Association of Christian Counselors is my wife, Keely Stein. I'm so proud of you. Yes, absolutely, baby. Rock it out. We're gonna help people. If you want to be a part of that counseling ministry, you want to get training, you gotta get certified, you gotta go through all kinds of classes. You feel like God has a call in your life. It's not just God's called me, therefore I do. In this case, we're not messing around. You gotta have the tools that can make sure you're saying the right thing and speaking the right thing into people's lives. So we'd love to get involved. Recognize the reality of your hurts, number one. Number two, yeah, this is a tough one. Trust God's timing. Trust God's timing. We all have our own agenda, don't we? (laughs) We we all think this should happen according to my timeline, and I'm pretty sure that Joseph felt that way too. In fact, throughout the entire story that we're gonna be reading about the next few weeks of Joseph's life, You can hear him asking God, God, are you gonna intervene? God, when are you gonna deliver me? God, when am I gonna see my dream come to reality, come to fruition? Hey, hello, God, are you listening? Are you even there? (laughs) Joseph thought that God was silent, but God was intervening the entire time. Joseph just didn't realize it. "Eh, It's the same for you. You see, God's timing is absolutely perfect. He asks us to trust him. I think it helps if we have a little perspective sometimes in life. I think it helps if we, um, sometimes we have to ask ourselves or we have to say to ourselves like a a four-word solution to this to give us perspective. It could be worse. Everybody say that with me. It could be worse. Say it again. It could be, say it like you mean it. It could be worse, right? It could be worse. It could be worse. Sometimes that helps us gain some perspective. Now, I'm not talking about dismissing your feelings, but sometimes it's good to not just think that we've got it as the worst case scenario. Some of y'all are gonna get in your car. Well, all of you are gonna get in your car, I think, uh, when you go to leave here today. Some of you might be passing by some cars that are pretty fine-looking cars in the parking lot. You might be passing by some cars that are sweet rides, and you're walking to your jalopy as you're heading out to the parking lot, and, and other people are going beep, beep. And you're walking out with a key in hand because you gotta stick the key in there and you gotta turn the thing. And if you're like one of the cars I've had, you can't even get in the driver's side. You gotta get in the passenger side because there's no handle on the driver's. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody had a car jalopy before, yes? Yeah, I, I had a car one time. Everybody who sat in the passenger seat in the front side had to hold their feet up. It was called, it, just, it was a core workout. There was no floor there. You saw the road go by the whole time. Yeah, I'm telling you, jalopy. Some of you are gonna get out into the parking lot and you're gonna be looking at other people's cars and you're thinking, I got no air conditioning. Uh, the only cooling system I got is when it rains because it just pours in every crack and crevice that I've got, right? You're thinking to yourself, my car makes so much noise and the radio's not even on, <laughs> right? You're, and you're thinking, man, if I could just have, if I had a better car, you gotta, you gotta tell yourself it could be worse, right? Sure it could. Some of you are going to go home. Are oh, you're going to go home to the apartment, your home, your condo, your, your house, your, your rented room later on today. And, and you're going to be passing by some really nice houses, some really nice homes. You're going to be looking at some beautiful, to, have I just had that house? Lord, if you just give me a house like that, I'd be, you know what, I, I would, missionaries would stay at my home. I'd have groups in my home all the time. People have said that before. I don't have anybody calling me and saying, Troy, do you have any missionaries coming to town? You, you got any groups that I can host in my home? You know what I'm saying? But people say that to God. And, and if I just had, if I here's what I want you to do. When you put the key in the keyhole when you get home, I want you to say to yourself, it could be worse, right? You could have not have a place to live at all. Um, this afternoon, uh, maybe you didn't get a chance to do any yard work this weekend. Your yard needs to be mowed. It's been raining a lot. So you gotta, some of you are gonna go home, put some shorts and a t-shirt on. You're gonna, you're gonna mow your yard. And when you get done putting everything away and trimming it, edging it, it's gonna look real nice. You're gonna, you're gonna go inside. And you're hot and you're sweaty, so you're going to do what a normal human being does. You're going to jump in the shower. And then when you get out of the shower, you're going to make a big mistake. You're going to look, and you're going to see yourself from the sideways view in the mirror. You might be saying, I wish I had more muscles, or you might be saying, I wish, if you're, I, wish I had a body like hers. Instead, you're going to say, it could be worse, right? Yeah, right? tomorrow when you wake up you're going to look across the pillow no don't go there guys I'm just kidding I'm just I'm just joking I'm just kidding around don't you dare say that in the morning (laughs) sometimes it helps to recognize that there are a lot of people who have it so much more worse than we do but in our hurt, it can also be easy to blame God. God, why, why did I derail a couple years ago? Why'd you let that happen? God, what, how come it's taken so long for my dreams to be realized? Why is that, why is that happening to me, God? Just remember, God didn't cause Joseph's um, brothers to harm him, but God's still working in the story. Here's the big thing. God is still the one calling the shots. <laughs> he was calling the shots in Joseph's story, and he is calling the shots in your story. God has never lost control, and like Joseph. Oftentimes, the path to incredible blessings is found through hardships and hurts, hardships and hurts. Recognize the reality of your hurts, trust in God's timing, and then finally, hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Notice a capitalized hope. Hold on to Jesus. Nobody is immune to hurt. James 1, 2 tells us when trials come, because they will. Jesus tells us in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. All kinds of trouble is gonna come your way. He tells us that. I mean, you shouldn't be like, what happened? Well, he's like, I told you. It's gonna happen. You don't have to fret about it, so what do we do? Well, let's get back to our story for the final verse in Genesis chapter 37. I love this word. Verse number 36. Meanwhile, oh, that means there's more to the story. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph to Egypt, in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Now this might not mean a whole lot to you, but just when it looks like Joseph is gonna be a, a, a simple slave in bondage, he's sold into slavery, but he's sold to just the right family at just the right time. God orchestrates his life so he would end up in a very important home, the home of Potiphar, which we're going to study this next week. This week we're talking about what's holding you back, your hurt. But next week, (laughs) don't miss it. Next week we're going to talk about what's holding you back, your temptation. And our temptations can really hold us back. Satan's going to try to convince you that everything is over, that you need to throw in the towel and that you need to quit. This chapter does not end with resolve. Guys, this chapter doesn't end with a happily ever after. This chapter doesn't end with a seen miracle, but there is an unseen miracle that is taking place because God is not done with Joseph, and God is not done with you either. Never put a period, someone said never put a period where God has placed a comma. The pit is not the end. Slavery is not going to define Joseph. Instead, that injustice is gonna be used by God to play a part in what we're gonna call the royal reversal. And what's true for Joseph is also true, true for you. You know those verses I quoted just a minute ago in James chapter one, verse number two? Consider it pure joy when trials come. The end of it says, the testing of your faith develops Perseverance. Perseverance means just that, that dog determination, that, that never give up spirit. But okay, here we go. I'm not stopping. I'm not backing up. I'm not quitting. Keeping my hand to the plow. John 16, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And then he says, but take heart. Be of good cheer. Cheer up. Smile. Have some joy. Why? Because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Your life is kind of like this in closing. Your life is kind of like a, a tapestry. You, you see the front of the tapestry, and you can see that hanging from that door frame. It's, it's beautiful, all different colors, brilliant, um, vibrant. But the same tapestry, this is the back of it. It's the same exact tapestry. It looks horrible, looks like a jumbled mess. Looks, I mean, it brings chaos to mind in my. In, 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 in my mind, it looks like a mess. It looks like it's hopeless. The reason we compare our lives to a tapestry is because the, 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 the front side is the side that God sees from the internal perspective. The back side, huh, that's the side we see from the temporal perspective. I don't know. I don't know what your hurt is today, but I know that God knows That it's not as messy as this might look, that there is a masterpiece in the making. You just gotta stay with him. Your hurt might be physical, it might be a diagnosis you received, it might be a workplace situation, it might be an emotional scar. I don't know. I don't know what your hurt is, but I do know this for sure it hurts. And if you're in the pit, I want you to remember that it's only when we're in the pit that we only have one option of what to look at there's only one direction to look and that's up from whence does my redemption come look up and if you're in the pit you need to realize that God is in control and also take heart because of what we're calling the promise in the pit <laughs> the promise in the pit that Paul spoke of in Romans chapter 8 and in 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 Romans chapter 8 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose that's the promise in the pit when you find yourself down there God is working this together for good don't forget he sees the front side you just see the mess But the other promise in the pit is found in 2 Corinthians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Who what? Who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. In other words, you're in the pit. God didn't cause it. But God is going to redeem it. And then God is going to use it. God is going to take what the enemy intends for harm and he will turn it around for your good. He will turn it around so that his name can be glorified and ultimately people will come to know him through your testimony. That's what's happening when you're in the pit. God is in control and he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. God is bigger than anything you face anything that you faced in the past or anything that you will encounter in the future every disease, every diagnosis divorce, depression even death our God is not distant and while you're going through this hurt it may seem like he's silent but you listen to me and listen to me closely he is present and he will make everything right let's pray Father God, thank you so much for your word. Man, we can just glean so much from just reading your word, studying it, and then seeing ourselves in the story, picturing, feeling, experiencing, and knowing that victory isn't just possible, it's inevitable. So Lord God, I pray that next two minutes, that God, you would do a miracle in this room friends even as i prayed keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed for just a moment this is a very serious moment of confidentiality i'm pretty sure that there are some folks in this room that have not yet processed through or gone through or faced the giant of your hurt maybe you thought you did and maybe you got victory for a season but now something else has come up or you know another dimension another level more information Something's been triggered, and you realize, I've got more hurt that I need to process through. That hurt is going to hold you back. And more than that, it's going to infect you. And it's going to infect your children and your children's children. And it will continue to do so unless you stop it, face it, and terminate it. So I wonder if there's someone here today that would say, Troy, I confess to my God my great and mighty God that there's hurt in my life it doesn't mean you're not saved it just means it's hurt I need to face that hurt and we're going to pray but I realize that that's a starting point I need to, I need to work through this and, and you need God to help you I'll tell you what with your heads bowed and I'm just telling you close your eyes because you don't need to see anybody this is very personal for people This is probably one of the most difficult responses, which is why I can tell you at this this time today, I'm not going to bring you forward. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. If you've got hurt, hurt that is deep, it's long-lasting, you want to face it because you want it gone, because you want to live a new life, today's a starting point for you. So what I want you to do is when I say now, I just want you to raise your hand and leave it up. Be courageous, keep your eyes closed, but all you're doing is it's kind of like there's mail in the mailbox. (laughs) Those old school mailboxes. remember you put the mail in, you put the flag up? Then you knew the postman was gonna come and he was gonna take that mail away and it would be delivered (laughs) away from you to its rightful owner. You're gonna have this, this hurt inside of you delivered from you and given to its rightful owner, which is God. So are you ready? Now, raise your hand. You got that hurt? Come on now, you got that hurt? Come on now, God, we are not gonna shortchange you. We are gonna say, we're gonna be honest. Lord, I've got hurt and I need that hurt dealt with. So God, I ask for a miracle today. Help me, Lord, to begin the journey, to see my life as a process. God, I confess to you today that I'm a wounded warrior that I'm, I don't wanna just live life. I wanna live an abundant life, a whole life, a healed life, a delivered life. So, God, I ask for your help, your healing, and your wholeness. Deliver me, I pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You can put your hand down. And now you can open your eyes. It's a process, guys. Joseph was how old? and he was almost he was almost 40 before he found freedom takes a while sometimes (laughs) it takes a while sometimes but God is orchestrating your life in such a masterful way he's going to see you through I'm looking back at I wouldn't embarrass you for all the money in the world but I'm looking back at the Buck family back there yeah it was a long journey wasn't it Steve come on now long journey years I mean job no 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 but we knew we knew sometimes you had a hard time knowing because you're human but God but God guys we're for you we want to partner with you but we can't help you if you don't engage so starting this Wednesday I'm challenging you to go to a group it's one hour six weeks that's it Then we're taking a break till after Labor Day for groups. So I want you to be here this Wednesday evening. Groups for all ages, but imperative that adults get signed up. So at these tables, grab a sheet. Make sure you sign up so we have materials for you. It's one hour. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest. And may he give you peace. Can we clap like we're victorious this morning? Can we just do that? Hallelujah. Yes, God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. God. Glory to God. Amen, amen, amen. Pray for us this afternoon. Pray for the Cervantes family as, as we're ministering to them and we're seeing her pass through the threshold from this life to graduation, to the life that is to come. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. You are dismissed. Amen.